It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 51 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.45, where are we at in society? Sometimes heroes wear capes, and sometimes they chain smoke while running a marathon, even if it does get them disqualified. At 6.30, Mel Kuyper just released his first mock draft of the year, and it's pretty light on Longhorns. At 6.15, both the 49ers and Lions get it done this past weekend. And a mere seconds, I'm looking back at the AFC side of the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at Courtesy Wave, and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, we are a couple of days removed now from the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and... The football world is still a buzz from three of four really good games over the weekend. Unfortunately, Texans fans, you guys just didn't quite have enough to get it done in that first game on Saturday, but still does not take away what was a fun and special first season for D'Amico, C.J. Stroud, and the rest of that organization. The future certainly does look bright. And I got to say, it felt like at halftime that it just might be the Texans' day, despite the fact that on Friday, I was a little bit concerned, especially after speaking with my buddy Sammy P., who I think put it perfectly, that the conditions were just not right for the Houston Texans to be able to win this game. There was a lot being talked about with Lamar Jackson, Playoff Lamar not being nearly as good as regular season Lamar. The Ravens having spent so much time off in between games, resting their starters the last week of the regular season. And a Texans team that was coming into that game playing pretty darn well too. But the cold, and maybe more importantly the wind, took away an important element of the Texans offense, that being the ability to throw the football downfield. And at that point, it becomes much more of a game about running the football where Baltimore has an edge on just about anybody in this league, but most definitely a Houston Texans team that was much better throwing the running this year. Even with Devin Singletary being a huge pickup for this team in the offseason and picking up for the slack created by Damian Pierce not exactly matching his output from a stellar rookie campaign in 2022, the Texans needed to be able to throw the football a little bit more, especially downfield. That couldn't happen, and ultimately, Baltimore, they just wore the Texans down in the second half. Let's remember, the Texans could have led at halftime if Fairbairn had not missed a field goal just before the end of the half. But Baltimore continued to run the football well. Lamar Jackson wasn't great through the air, but he was efficient couple of touchdown passes, no interceptions, a high completion percentage. And he finishes with over 100 yards rushing. And they want to say they had three other guys who had at least 40 yards rushing too. So that is a recipe for the Ravens moving on and getting to host their first AFC championship game in a long time. Excuse me, they had two other guys with 40 plus yards rushing. Justice Hill, who looked really good, and then Gus Edwards, who was been a rock for this franchise for several seasons now. Dalvin Cook did get some play too, 8 for 23, but it really was the Lamar Jackson show. Four touchdowns accounted for, 11 carries, 100 yards. I mentioned the 
passing stats vaguely, 16 to 22, 152, two touchdowns as well. Now the Ravens will face, yes, the Kansas City Chiefs, who once again find their way back to the AFC Championship game in a season where it felt like that may not happen. Nope. Pat Mahomes makes his sixth straight AFC Championship game. Every year since he has been a starter for this franchise, they have made it at least to the AFC Championship game. And they do so again after knocking off Buffalo in New York, 27-24. This was a game that saw a lot of offense in the first half, and defenses really find their footing in the second half. And if you look at a couple of simple statistics, that being total plays and time of possession, you would assume that Baltimore just grinded the Chiefs down and won that game. But that's not what happened. Because even though the Bills had a ton more plays and owned time of possession, the Chiefs owned yards per play. And quite frankly, the overall outcome, that three-point difference, wasn't indicative of how much better the Chiefs played throughout that game. Could this be it for Sean McDermott? People are asking that question. I think the more valid question right now, or maybe a more valid statement, is this is probably it for Stephon Diggs with the Buffalo Bills. There is a paradox in the football world that has to do with a wide receiver and his skill versus his diva nature, both on and off the field. Seen plenty of guys who qualify for this paradox in the past. One of my favorite examples, especially for you Cowboys fans, Des Bryant. Just a constant source of distraction on and off the field. But when his play was good enough, you dealt with it. When the play started to slip, when the productivity was no longer there, all of a sudden he became very expendable. And that's what's happening with Stephon Diggs right now. I think Diggs still has more productivity left in him. But sometimes guys need a reset. Sometimes you need to separate yourself from the current situation and find something new. Remember, he wore his welcome out in Minnesota. And year one in Buffalo went pretty well. There weren't a whole lot of hiccups. But with a guy like this, it does seem like it's only a matter of time. And so I would not be surprised to see them move on from Diggs this offseason. Look, still has number one wide receiver potential. I know folks are going to look at the fact that he did not have 100 yards receiving going all the way back to October, I believe, which is not good. Huge drop in that game against the Chiefs, what would have likely been a long touchdown. Josh Allen puts it on the money down the field, and Diggs cannot come up with it. And Despite the fact that Josh Allen played a really good game, ultimately his team falls short once again. The Bills need to find an answer because they are squandering some of the best years of their quarterback. He really righted the ship at the end of this season. It did seem like the Bills were playing their best football at the right time, but the Chiefs were just a little bit better. Remember the uh, dropsies issue that Pat Mahomes' receivers were having? Yeah, that has disappeared in the playoffs. Funny how that works. To go along with Isaiah Pacheco running angry in a Chiefs defense that may be the best for that side of the ball in the Pat Mahomes era, which is another reason to believe that they have a legitimate shot to make it back to and win another Super Bowl. 
I'm not sure who I would take in that AFC championship game right now. In Baltimore, of course. Ravens, you could argue, are the best team in the NFL this year, just based purely on matchups against other good competition. That includes the 49ers. They did not play the Chiefs this year, but it felt like during the regular season, the Ravens were always up to that task. And even though that home stadium is not thought of as one that has a great home field advantage, their win total would suggest otherwise. They showed the stat at the game the other day. Third most wins going back like five or six seasons for the Ravens in that stadium as opposed to all other NFL teams. It is the Pat Mahomes factor on one side, but a true-on team effort on the Baltimore side of things. Where, taking everything into consideration, this does feel like it's their year, their season once again. But, as I just said, are you willing to bet against Pat Mahomes this time of year? Because it has been burning people for two rounds now. We saw a Chiefs team that was a shell of itself throughout much of the regular season, specifically a lack of reliable targets for Mahomes to throw the football to. But if they've got the drops problem figured out, and they have Pacheco running like that, and the defense playing like that, even minus a couple of guys, it's anybody's bet. All right, coming up, we will get into the NFC side of things here on Sports Day Plus on 1027 ESPN. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Coming up, take a look at the NFC side of the divisional round of the NFL playoffs from this past weekend. First, though, I need to let you know about a friend of mine. His name is Ike Coronas. He is a Domino's franchisee for four locations here in Central Texas. That would be Lago Vista, Burnett, Treviso, and Lampasas. Regardless of the Domino's location, whether it's one of those four or any other spot here in the Austin area, I wanted to let you know about an excellent-looking new product on the menu. I haven't tried it just yet. I guarantee you it's only a matter of time in my household before we order some of the new pepperoni stuffed cheesy bread it is now on the menu at all domino's locations it is the perfect mouth-watering side for movie nights those sports game nights or when you're just craving melty cheese and pepperoni who is not craving melty cheese and pepperoni you know i'm a pretty healthy eater i can't help myself though sometimes when it comes to cheese and pepperoni it's just the perfect combination try domino's new pepperoni stuffed cheesy bread next time you place an order your taste buds will thank you and place an order at domino's is so easy now you can do so through dominoes.com or mobile apps and plenty of other ways we love the mobile app because it allows us to keep track of the pizza every step of the way and they usually get it there lightning fast is where despite the fact that it is made fresh each order made fresh it's just impressive with Domino's, and thank you to Ike for his support of me and my broadcasting endeavors. Congratulations to the San Francisco 49ers and Detroit Lions for making it to the NFC Championship game. The first ticket was punched on Saturday night. That would be by Sam Fran in what was a come-from-behind victory for the 49ers over the young and upstart Green Bay Packers. 
could be argued that Green Bay had this game in their clutches and they let it slip away, thanks in part to a missed field goal that probably should be made at the NFL level. Uh, Carlson may not be long for Wisconsin. And then also Jordan Love, unfortunately falling a little bit short in the end, a very eerie-looking play reminiscent of uh, Brett Favre and a play he had that got his team eliminated decades ago where Jordan Love is rolling to the right, throws across his body. The ball ends up getting picked off by San Francisco, and that does clinch a victory for the 49ers. And I know San Francisco has been the odds-on favorite to make it to the Super Bowl from the NFC side for much of the year. That doesn't seem like a certainty right now. This game is going to be played in the Bay Area this next weekend between the Niners and Lions. But San Francisco is a team that is all of a sudden dealing with a major injury on offense with Debo Samuel 50-50 right now, according to Kyle Shanahan, as to whether he's going to play this weekend. And Brock Purdy looking more and more human as the season progresses. This is a guy who at one point in the year was considered a candidate for league MVP, even though Purdy himself is arguing for Christian McCaffrey to receive that honor if anybody does on San Francisco. And he looked shaky throughout much of the afternoon and evening in that game on Saturday night. But ultimately, you also have to give the guy credit, though, for getting it done when he needed to. That last drive of the game, where he was nearly perfect throwing the football and helps them get into the end zone for the go-ahead and game-winning touchdown. But it does feel to me right now, as someone who has watched Brock Purdy going back to his freshman year at Iowa State, that he is teetering on the brink of some bewildering plays that ultimately puts his team too far behind the proverbial eight ball to win the game. And to do that against a Detroit team that is riding a ton of momentum now into this championship game, it could be too much to overcome. The Lions have been a fun team to watch going back a couple seasons now. You could even argue that going back to Dan Campbell's first season, where I feel like they ended up with four or five wins, this was a fun football team to watch. One who was fighting tooth and nail every game, even though they were losing a lot of those games, and in some cases, losing those games in gut-wrenching fashion. Remember, that's the year that Detroit was about to beat a really good Baltimore team before Justin Tucker... Longhorn legend Justin Tucker kicked a an NFL record field goal to win that game for the Ravens. There were several instances like that throughout the course of the season for Detroit, but they were still fighting to the bitter end. I think that was a sign of just how these guys are willing to rally for one another and also for their coach, compassionate meathead Dan Campbell. We saw more steps forward last year where even though Detroit fell just short of a playoff spot, They were fighting hard to the end, competitive to the end. They go into Green Bay the last week of the season. Green Bay just needs to win that game to, I think, win the division and make it into the playoffs. I think that's what the scenario was. Well, Detroit beat them. And it led to one of the most epic post-game interviews from Jamal Williams where he gets teary-eyed talking about doing this for his grandfather. And he starts talking trash about people counting the Detroit Lions out. I wish Jamal Williams is still on this team. I realize there's not as much of a need for him now. He was so good at getting into the end zone a year ago. Went to New Orleans this last year. Took the last game of the season, and the Saints essentially breaking a cardinal rule 
despite the fact that they should have been kneeling the clock out, getting him that one touchdown on the year. I'm okay with that. It is Jamal Williams after all. But I wish Jamal was on this team. Regardless, though, this Lions team is a lot of fun. They've got a ton of character. They're really good on offense, dynamic on offense. They've got a thunder and lightning combination in that backfield with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, the talented rookie out of Alabama. Jared Goff has silenced the haters, as they say, turning into a bona fide NFL quarterback. He's got a fun group of receivers around him, too. I'm on Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds. The A&M alum, Jamison Williams has really come on recently, product out of Alabama. And then Sam Laporta, too, who is the future at tight end in the NFL. That guy is an absolute beast, and it's good to see him getting healthier, too. He was a game-time call, I believe, going back to their wildcard round matchup against Dallas, and as you tend to see with guys who are coming back from injuries, last year, or last week, excuse me, this last weekend, it looks like he was taking more steps forward in terms of getting healthy. Even though they went up against a good Bucks team, uh, maybe good is putting it too kindly, a Bucks team that did certain things well and posed matchup problems for Detroit, considering that Detroit's biggest weakness is defending the pass. There was a lot of intrigue heading into that game, but Detroit took care of business. The home fans got a second playoff game, which is an absolute treat for a franchise that has dealt with so much futility over the years. And ultimately, uh, Detroit wins it going away, thanks to, speaking of interceptions at the ends of games, Baker Mayfield making a throw that he just needs to hold on to or get rid of. Certainly not try and complete that pass there. And it's really cool to see this franchise get to celebrate like that. But they need to have a short memory. And I think the compassionate meathead Dan Campbell will ensure that his team has a short memory, that they are focused on a 49ers team that poses a bunch of different challenges. On offense, it starts with Christian McCaffrey. But Kyle Shanahan, he knows how to call plays. That's stating the obvious at this point, I guess. But it becomes much more difficult for him if he doesn't have Debo Samuel in there. Their record without Debo Samuel over the course of the last three seasons is not good. And you understand why. He's a Swiss Army knife. The guy takes carries out of the backfield from motion. He obviously catches the ball and is great at making dudes miss and picking up extra yardage and finding his way into the end zone as well. You know the George Kittles and Brandy Iukes of the world, Jennings, they're all up to the task to fill that void, but there's only so much you can do with a guy as talented as Debo Samuel. So what ends up happening with him will be enormous in helping to determine what happens in the football game. Regardless, though, watch out for Brock Purdy. Pump fake Purdy, as he became known as at Iowa State. Just has weird moments with the football. All of a sudden, it's an ill-advised pass, or the ball just ends up going behind him for some strange reason. Turnover. He's avoided that for the most part during his time with San Francisco. But it felt like we were dangerously close to one of those bewildering moments last weekend. Fortunately for the 49ers, it never happened. Because even one of those moments that becomes a turnover, that might have been lights out for San Francisco. But it turned out not to be. So they get that second life. Is it a wake-up call? A lot of people think that it is. You're starting to see some pushback. On the Brock Purdy side of things. Not from Purdy himself necessarily, although his teammates are sticking up for him. 
You're starting to get some pushback from people who say, hey, Brock Purdy is not as bad as some of you people are making him out to be. I fall somewhere in the middle. It is impressive to see what he has done as a guy who wasn't expected to start a game being drafted as Mr. Irrelevant at the very end of the 23 NFL draft. He was forced into action by injuries, but he made the most of it. Processes quickly, which is what you need in a Kyle Shanahan offense. Finds that open receiver, makes that quick first read when he needs to, and also leans on Christian McCaffrey, which is smart for any running back slash offensive coordinator to do. But if there is a weakness for this 49ers team right now, and they've been suspect in coverage on defense at times this year as well, it's Brock Purdy. That is the great unknown. He has been tested a little bit now in these playoffs. You can't say that he was tested greatly last year because he suffered that injury, unfortunately, that led to San Francisco after a second injury, I believe, being forced to snap the ball directly to Christian McCaffrey. Brock Purdy tried to come back in that game, so you give him credit for the heart there, but this is his first true healthy dose, emphasis on healthy, in the NFL playoffs, and it's called a mixed bag that first game last weekend so now he has a chance to redeem himself and you know Aiden Hutchinson and that Lions front are going to try and make life difficult on him if they don't the Lions have given up huge yardage to receivers each of these last couple of weeks if it's Debo Samuel if it's Brandon Ayuk if it's Jennings maybe it's Christian McCaffrey it seems like somebody is going to be primed to go off for the 49ers if they can't get that pressure home and force Purdy into making quick decisions. All right, coming up, we stick with the NFL theme with Mel Kuyper's first mock draft of the 2024 year. Coming up on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. couple of quick programming reminders before we get you Mel Kuyper's first mock draft of 2024. Not his first 2024 mock draft, but his first mock draft since the new year. Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel will join me tomorrow. I think starting at about 6.15 for a couple of segments for his weekly visit Talking about Longhorn Junior Day's past, this past weekend, and future. Because there is a second Junior Day coming up this weekend. Longhorns, because, well, it is January, and apparently we get at least a new piece of news or two on this each week, has picked up commitments for the class of 26. Their first commitment at the class of 26, a running back that we'll find out more about. Uh, Another commitment for the class of 25, a defensive end. And a couple more guys in the transfer portal, one of whom we may get to here in just a minute in this segment. And then on Thursday, I think it's going to be Thursday, I'm actually recording this interview tomorrow, so based on a couple of other things that are in the hopper right now, but Thursday or tomorrow, I have the pleasure of speaking with the hilarious, the legendary Brian Regan. That's right. Brian Regan is going to be in Austin performing on Sunday at ACL Live at the Moody Theater. There's actually some tickets remaining for this show. ACLlive.com to snag those tickets for Sunday night show. Get to talk with Brian Regan for a couple of segments. And as somebody who gets to talk to a lot of stand-up comedians, I'm really excited about this one. 
Ryan has a reputation of being the comedian who doesn't need to use foul language, and that's fine, but don't let that sell you short on just how insanely talented Brian Regan is. Whoever your favorite comedian is, Brian Regan is probably one of their favorite comedians. So stay tuned for that at some point over the next couple of days. Mel Kuyper Jr. will probably release about 35 drafts between now and April's draft. But this is his first of 2024. Came out earlier today at ESPN.com. Not any huge surprises at the top of the draft. Bears selecting Caleb Williams, which I think everybody believes is going to happen now. The question becomes, what happens with Justin Fields? At two, the Commanders, who will take a quarterback. Kuyper has them selecting Jaden Daniels from LSU, with the Patriots getting Drake May from North Carolina at three. Top five rounds out with the Cardinals selecting Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver from Ohio State, and the Chargers taking Brock Bowers, the tight end from Georgia. We'll get to the Texas teams here in just a second. First, though, going to scroll down to the first Longhorn selected, according to Mel Kuyper. How about A.D. Mitchell at 28 by the Buffalo Bills? I think A.D. Mitchell or Xavier Worthy going to the Bills would make a ton of sense. Whether or not Buffalo chooses to hang on to Stephon Diggs, who obviously we talked about a few segments ago, Gabe Davis is a free agent. Will they bring him back? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not, though. He wasn't there for them because of an injury this last weekend. So are the Bear, are the Bills retooling altogether at wide receiver? Perhaps. If so, A.D. Mitchell makes a lot of sense. Even if not, they just let Gabe Davis go and keep Stephon Diggs. You could see them selecting A.D. Mitchell or Xavier Worthy here. As Kuyper says, I made a late change with this pick after I watched Josh Allen average 4.8 yards per attempt in that home playoff loss to the Chiefs. His receivers struggled to get open and didn't make enough plays after the Cats once they did. Diggs hasn't had a 100-yard game since mid-October, and Gabe Davis is now a free agent. General Manager Brandon Bean can find a useful pass catcher here. The 6'4 Mitchell broke out after transferring from Georgia, catching 55 passes for 845 yards and 11 scores for the Longhorns in 2023. He thrived on crossing routes, using his size and quickness to get separation from defenders. He has great hands. The position I almost went with, nose tackle, because Devondre Sweat could be a great fit in the middle of the Buffalo defense. Interesting that he was going with one of two Longhorns to Buffalo at 28. And because A.D. Mitchell is the only Longhorn in Mel's first-round mock draft from earlier today, it does beg the question of who that second Longhorn might be. If there is a second Longhorn selected, or someone who's more likely than A.D. Mitchell to be selected in the first round. Devondre Sweat, probably a popular choice. Xavier Worthy could be a popular choice. Feeling less strongly about J.T. Sanders ending up in the first round, although I could see that also. I feel like the first Longhorn selected when it's all said and done after we get through the scouting combine and just the overall scouting process, Longhorn's Pro Day too, of course, at some point after the scouting combine, it's going to end up being Byron Murphy. He is much closer to an every-down guy on the defensive line than Tavondre Sweat is right now, and while they will play... 
drastically different roles from one another. Byron Murphy is going to blow people away with the measurables, with some of the explosiveness that he shows in those combine drills. You can then go back and watch his tape and see he is a guy who is versatile, who is able to stop the run, who is able to get after the quarterback as well. And I think he ends up getting selected maybe in the top 20 by the time it's all said and done. But it's an exciting year to be a Texas football fan to watch where your guys are going in the draft because it feels like we have at least five guys who are going by day two, some of whom could end up in day one. What do the Cowboys end up doing, you ask, Cowboys fan? How about Jordan Morgan, offensive tackle from Arizona, Kuiper's write-up. The NFL's other franchise in Texas had the opposite rookie class as the Texans as the Cowboys got very little from their first-year players, unless you include Brandon Aubrey, who was all-pro but played in the USFL. And while they've been known for their tremendous offensive line play for years, both left tackle Tyron Smith and right guard uh, Zach Martin are 33, with Smith now out of contract. Sure, they appear to have hit on 2022 first-rounder Tyler Smith, who has excelled at left guard, They need to add more talent to the line. Morgan is one of my favorite pass protectors in this class. I love the way he moves his feet and handles twists and stunts. He started 35 games at left tackle in college, which makes him a perfect fit to replace Tyron Smith. That write-up makes a ton of sense. I don't know a ton about Jordan Morgan, but to hear him play 35 games, to learn that he uses those hands and feet really well, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's not a sexy pick, but... As the cliche goes, and can we call it a cliche if it's still valid? But games are won and lost in the trenches. And the Cowboys' offensive line was pretty consistent this last year, but you always need to be looking to improve those position groups because it had been erratic up until last season. Can you get another healthy year out of Tyron Smith? Nobody's banking on that. Who knows if the Cowboys even bring him back on a contract? Maybe they will, maybe they won't. If they don't, then it becomes even more imperative that you find his replacement either in free agency or in the draft. The Houston Texans, of course, do not have a draft pick. They traded that away last year to move up to get a second top five pick. And I'm just looking to see... Oh, excuse me, they do have a draft pick. They still have a draft pick from that trade they made with Cleveland for Deshaun Watson. My apologies, Texans fans. And they end up going with the defensive tackle out of Illinois. I'm going to save you the description from Mel Kuyper, but they are looking to upgrade on the defensive side of the ball. Once again, line of scrimmage. Win the line of scrimmage. Win football games. The Texans defense, excuse me, was not the problem necessarily against Baltimore last weekend. They were doing a great job of pressuring Lamar Jackson, limiting that run game in a sense, but they just wore down over time. So add a guy like Jerjon Newton, the defensive tackle out of Illinois, might help provide better depth along that defensive line which can keep rotations fresh and keep those guys from wearing down in a tight game where your offense isn't quite giving you as much as you become accustomed to throughout the course of the year. Texans did a phenomenal job of drafting this last year, by the way. So you expect, if they were to go with a guy that you're not all that familiar with, 
you give them credit at this point that they know exactly what they're doing and just wait to see things pan out. Did mention this a couple of minutes ago, but the Texas Longhorns added another transfer portal kid. And this one is official now. Speaking of defensive line depth, they're adding to their defensive tackle depth after losing to Vondre Sweat and Byron Murphy off of this year's roster. Arizona defensive tackle, Tia Savea, committed to Texas, I think earlier today, but perhaps it was late yesterday, and has officially signed that letter of intent now. Played DT at Arizona this last year. If you've been following along this offseason for the Longhorns, Texas did bring in former Arizona DC Johnny Nansen, who is now the linebackers coach in Code DC in Austin. Well, Savea has actually played for Nansen at a couple of different spots before joining him here, here in Austin. His true freshman year, he was at UCLA. Nansen was at UCLA at that time. Nansen then moves to Arizona. Savea follows him, and now Savea follows him one more time to Austin. This is his final year of eligibility. Last year was far and away his best year at DT in his three-year college career, and he looks to build on that now. While at Arizona over two years, he had 36 career tackles, seven and a half tackles for a loss, and a sack and a half. Played in 10 games for Arizona this last year. Played against Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl in late December. Had three tackles and a half a tackle for a loss. So, if nothing else, he is helping to provide depth at defensive tackle for the Longhorns. All right, coming up, one final segment. Where are we at in society? Sometimes heroes wear capes. Sometimes they chain smoke while running marathons. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Final segment of today's show. Before I bring you where we at in society, I wanted to let you know about a friend of mine. His name is Brian Hummel. His website, HummelRealtor.com. Are you searching for your dream home in Austin? Or maybe you're curious about how much your home is worth? Look no further than Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process with questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your invaluable resource when buying, selling, and investing. Plus, as a certified real estate negotiator, Brian brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. Austin's housing market has been fascinating over the last year. Yes, it actually has slowed down, relatively speaking, but guess what? Signs are pointing to things heating back up. It's also the best time of year to put new houses on the market. We're at that unique point where it is good for both the buyer and seller. That's why if you are either, you should contact Brian today at 512-619-1347 or log on to his website, HummelRealtor.com. That's 512-619-1347 or H-U-M-M-E-L Realtor.com. Brian Hummel with Realty One, the one you need. It is the final segment of today's show, which means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? 
That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. And we start today's Where We At stories in China celebrating an incredible athletic feat. It has nothing to do with basketball or football or baseball or tennis or any actual sport. You see, I recognize that running, distance running, is competitive. In a sense, it's a game, but I don't consider it a sport. I consider it an activity that people compete in. Having said that, though, it does take a certain athleticism and certainly a willpower to compete in and finish a marathon. 26.2 miles, which oftentimes involves some elevation change. And if that's not hard enough, how about this guy who made it even more difficult on himself, which is why I got to consider him a hero. He's 52 years old. He completes the 26.2-mile marathon in 3 hours and 33 minutes. The Xiamen Marathon in China. But what's impressive about this 53-year-old finishing the marathon is that he was chain-smoking cigarettes the entire race. That's right. Burning heater after heater. When he's done with one, I don't know if he flicks it or if he's got somebody alongside him that's uh, putting it out and disposing of it properly. Apparently, that's a big issue in China. It was a huge deal for the 2008 games. I know that was, gosh, 16 years ago now, but I have read since then that cigarette butts all over the place is still a problem. China is well behind the rest of the developed world in terms of banning smoking indoors. Perhaps it's happened by now, but there is still a large smoking population in China. Not for or against that, I'm just letting you know what's going on. This guy, clearly a part of the still smoking group because he's chain smoking cigarettes for the entirety of a 26.2 mile race. Now here's the shame of it all because hey, you know what? That's what you want to do. While you're running a marathon, the marathon itself is actually not all that good for you. There's plenty of research to back that up. If you want to add chain smoking to that, to the add to the challenge, good on you. Congratulations. You are a hero among runners, in my opinion. But that is not how marathon officials saw it. The guy who is merely going by the name Uncle Chin in this Toronto Sun article was disqualified by marathon officials. Because smoking on the track is illegal in this race. This marathon committee issued a statement announcing the disqualification for violating an article in the marathon rules and regulations. It's actually article 2.12 and it states, Uncivilized behavior from runners such as open defecation, smoking, or trampling on flower beds or green spaces that affect the race and the safety of other runners will result in disqualification. 
can we please, can sanity please rule the day here? And we put a clear distinction between that first thing and the other two? Just going number two on the track versus smoking or trampling on flower beds or green spaces? Those are very different things here. I would argue that smoking is the least egregious of those things because it's very rude to trample on a flower bed or a green space that is not intended to be walked on or run on in this case. You're lumping smoking in with those other two things. Boy, you smokers have it hard, don't you? I mean, there aren't many groups that can still be openly hated on in this day and age. Smokers are the exception. And if we get to this other story, apparently heterosexual white guys, too, with somebody who had to uh, eat one when they tried to be really cool from Johns Hopkins University about diversity. But yeah, you smokers, you have it hard. It sucks. What you do is technically legal can't really do it anywhere anymore. In a lot of places, you can't even do it outside anymore. You have to do it in the privacy of your own home or your backyard, perhaps. I used to smoke. I was a 10-year smoker. Burning heaters left and right. I was a -a pack-a-day guy. Sucking down Marlboro Reds. Thankfully, I quit that. But I say that also while admitting that there are still times where I'm walking around and, God, a cigarette sounds good. After a big meal... Sex, first thing in the morning cigarette, last thing at night cigarette, while playing some beach volleyball. Yeah, I said it. Maybe that's part of the reason why this story resonates with me so much. I get it. I get why this guy felt the need to smoke cigarettes while he was competing in an athletic endeavor. There is something enjoyable about it. Is it the endorphin release? I'm not totally sure. But unfortunately, he was disqualified. He, By the way, he finished 574th out of more than 1,500 runners. So it's not like he was even coming in dead last either. This guy beat a, two-thirds of the participants while chain-smoking the entire time. This is a little bit off subject, but did you see the news that came out over the weekend? The LA Clippers are building a new basketball arena right now. In Southern California. And there was a report that came out. I think it was Woj who reported this. From over the weekend. Let me see if I can get to my Twitter. Because I retweeted it. Yeah, from Woj. At Woj D ESPN. ESPN Sources. Ah, shoot. I think I got duped. Fake account. I got duped. Darn it. Well, that was just going to be really enjoyable. Fake Woj said the Clippers' new arena is planning to have its own 21 and older section in the upper bowl that will allow fans to smoke marijuana or cigarettes. I thought we were about to get a return of the smoking section in certain places. It seemed far-fetched, and unfortunately it turned out not to be true. I am so disappointed right now. That this was a fake account. I don't often get taken to the cleaners. I got taken to the cleaners on this one, unfortunately. So my apologies to those of you who 
read my retweet with a smart-ass comment towards Spirit Airlines over the weekend because it turned out all, to be all for naught. And by the way, if there is an airline that were to allow smoking on their flights again at some point, it would be Spirit Airlines. Spirit, which I'm surprised aren't charging people to get on their planes and essentially not have a seat to just sit and hold on to, or excuse me, stand and hold on to a leather strap a la the subway to get from point A to point B. I could see them trying to start something like this. Pay for that premium seat in the smoking section. Charge you 30 extra bucks. They charge you for everything else. Everything else. While it also feels like those planes are being held together by, I don't know, coat hangers, duct tape. Just name an item around the house that you use to keep stuff together to avoid having to pay a much larger fee to, to fix it properly. That's what it feels like being on a Spirit Airlines flight in my limited experience of being on Spirit Airlines. But if Spirit Airlines were to bring smoking back with air travel, they might see an uptick in customers. Could see a downtick too. I, I get that. All right, that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. A couple of programming reminders. Tomorrow is Wednesday, which means I get to spend a couple of segments talking Texas football and more with Justin Wells of Inside Texas. And stay tuned because later this week, I have a two-segment conversation with legendary stand-up comedian Brian Regan, who's going to be in town this weekend performing at ACL Live. Snack tickets at ACLLive.com. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night and... Hook'em. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.